Good morning, church. Good morning. It's, been, it's good to be with you. Uh, uh, in the last service, we had the Next Step team up here on the front row, and uh, this is their last week with us. They've hosted uh, uh, 600 to 700 students here this summer in our buildings and doing a mission work in the Midlands area, so it's been great to see them with us. If you get a chance to speak to them, tell them thank you. Uh, last weekend, we finished up uh, a great series on the book of Ruth, and I preached over in the sanctuary on the romance that uh, Boaz and Ruth enjoyed with each other and how Boaz was the kin- kinsman redeemer, how he invested uh, uh, his future into God's plans and God's purpose. And my ending of the sermon last week was great endings lead to new beginnings. Great endings lead to new beginnings. And the book of Ruth ends with a promise of a new beginning. I want to read to you the last verse of the book of Ruth. Boaz was the father of Obed, and Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David. And today we kick off a sermon series on David, uh, the life lessons from a God chaser. Now, another way to say that is this, godly legacies activates new beginnings. Godly legacies activate new beginnings. David was blessed to have this supernatural spiritual legacy from godly grandparents. And godly grandparents are a blessing. Ruth and Boaz poured into him, David, so that he could one day become a God chaser. And I believe that David made them proud. You know, so you've heard my story. I grew up in a broken home, uh, was moved into a foster home. Uh, My dad remarried when I was seven, and I got a stepmom. And early on, neither my uh, My dad and my stepmom went to church much, and so I didn't go to church. Didn't grow up going to church. But God placed in my life a godly step-grandfather who did go to church. And whenever I would go stay with him and my step-grandmother, he would make sure to take me to church. And I'm sure as a godly man, he prayed for me. And years later, his prayers were answered, and I gave my life to Jesus. And one day, when I get to heaven... I'm going to look up Lonnie Anderson and thank him for leaving me a godly legacy. And I hope in my life that I make him proud. And you and I get that opportunity. I'm blessed today to be a grandfather who has a great opportunity to leave a godly legacy that, that activates new beginnings, new beginnings for my grandchildren and the Lord willing, uh, great-grandchildren. Now, David was living into this legacy that Ruth and Boaz poured into his life. David becomes one of the most famous men in the Bible. And I'm sure that if you, or I mentioned the name David, you saw the title, you say, yeah, I've heard of that guy. Uh, You should have heard of him. There are 61 chapters in the Bible about David. He wrote uh, somewhere between 73 and 76 of the Psalms. David is mentioned 1,141 times in the Bible. That's pretty important, right? 1,141 times in the Bible, uh, second only to Jesus. So David's a pretty important guy. Now think about contemporaries today. Who are important Christians today? And what's their impact? What's their reach? Well, one of my heroes is Dr. Billy Graham. You know, I've admired him for years and years and years. He still lives today. Uh, He's still praying for a great awakening to come to uh, the world and uh, through the church. And, and another person I think of, and uh, uh, you may not be a fan, but I think he's a, a very bold Christian, that's a guy by the name of Tim Tebow, right? 
Their impact and reach uh, has been pretty amazing. So I wanted to see how much of a reach that uh, Dr. Billy Graham and uh, Tim Tebow had in this social media-driven world we live in. So I looked up these statistics. By the year 2015, it's the most recent statistic that I could find, over 5 million people had visited the Billy Graham website. And 5 million people had given their life to Jesus. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? 5 million people had given their life to Jesus by visiting the website of the Billy Graham Association. In fact, in 2014, 100,000 people from Saudi Arabia, Iraq, and Syria visited the Billy Graham website. Despite that website being blocked in their country, countries and them being openly hostile to Christianity. Now, Tim Tebow was all over the news, right? He was here in Columbia for a while playing baseball. Uh, he's still continuing that journey of baseball. We hear him on ESPN. We hear about his witness and his bold statements. You know, we're actually negotiating with hosting uh, uh, the prom event that he sponsors for special needs here at Mount Horeb uh, next spring. And so he's making an impact. And uh, uh, I didn't know this, but during the 2009 national championship game, when Tim Tebow took upon himself to put John 316 uh, on his face uh, for the eye black, guess how many people Googled uh, John 316 during the national championship game? 90 million people. 90 million people Googled John 316. Now, that's pretty amazing. And I praise God for that kind of impact. But the reality is most of us in this room know, and I know that I'll never have the impact of a Tim Tebow. I'm not going to uh, be able to hit a baseball over a fence. I'm never going to play in a national championship game. Uh, I'm not going to preach to millions and millions of people in stadiums all over the world like Dr. Graham has done. But when I look at the man named David, somebody we can admire, he's also somebody that we can relate to. Now, why do I say that? D David did some remarkable things. I mean, he's mentioned 1,141 times in the Bible, but he also messed up a lot. He messed up a lot and struggled in his walk with God and I love what Eugene Peterson said about David in his, uh, you know, Eugene Peterson wrote the message, a paraphrase of the Bible. And he wrote this book about David called Leap Over a Wall. And, and here's what he, how he describes David. He says, in the company of David, we don't feel inadequate because we know we can never do it that well. Just the opposite. In the company of David, we find someone who does it as badly as or as worse than we do. Right? Well, I can relate to somebody that messes up as badly or as worse as I do. Uh, but in the process, David doesn't quit. He doesn't withdraw from God. David isn't an, isn't an ideal life, but an actual life. How about that? David is not just an ideal, but an actual life. David is a person on whom God, nothing to God is lost. We read David to cultivate a sense of reality for the struggle of being a Christian, an honest life, a God-aware and God-responsive life. Now, that's not to diminish Billy Graham or Tim Tebow, but when we read David, we read about all of his blemishes. In fact, this past week, I was reading about the legacy of the British leader, Oliver Cromwell. Now, he impacted England back in the 1600s. Uh, he still impacts the free world today because he advocated the freedom of religion. And a court, a court painter was commissioned to paint his portrait. Now, Cromwell, evidently, and looking at some of these pictures, it's pretty obvious, his face was distorted by warts. And so this painter wanted to please Cromwell omits the warts from his painting, his portrait. And when Cromwell saw the picture, he said these famous words, take it away, paint me warts and all. 
Now, when we see David, we get warts and all, right? We see him as he is. In fact, one of the reasons that I believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God is because when we read the Bible, we see warts and all. We see all the hang-ups of the men and women of the Bible. In fact, if you were going to start a, a movement like Christianity and, and try to get it to spread all over the world, you'd probably leave the warts out, right? But in the Bible, we see all the challenges of the people of God, the struggles, the disappointments, the failures, the repentance, the humility, and we see that in David. In our text this morning that Jay read for you from Psalm 78, he chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. Now, I've never been a shepherd, but I've been in some places that felt like sheep pens, and, and maybe you have too. And God has the, has the desire to pick you up from wherever you are and use you to make an impact in this world. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people. From working at the convenience store, he brought him to be a leader among his people. Just fill in the blank, wherever you work at. God wants to use you to make an impact in the world. But why David? Why you? Why me? Well, David was a God chaser. He was a man seeking to know God's heart. But here's a very important point for all of us and gives all of us hope here today. Before David was a God chaser, he was being chased by God. God chases after us every single day. And David expressed that in that beloved psalm. Most of you know, right, the 23rd Psalm? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, verse 6, David wrote this, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. I looked up the word follow in the Hebrew. And the word follow means to pursue. It means to run after. It means to chase. And quite literally, it means this, to hunt you down. <laughs> That's the God we serve. He will go to whatever means necessary to hunt you down. In fact, our pray worship team sang that great song talking about the extent that, that, that God will go to demonstrate his love for us, to show that he loves us. I love how Peterson, uh, again, as paraphrased the 23rd Psalm, verse 6, your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. So before David was a God chaser, God was chasing after him. If you're here today and you say, you know, I don't know what a God chaser means. I'm not chasing after God very hard. Trust me, God is chasing after you. God is pursuing you every day of your life. Now, as Methodists, we believe in a doctrine called prevenient grace. I just ran over from the new member class, or I mean, a coffee with a pastor, and people were asking what a Methodist believe about this, a Methodist believe about that. Uh, one of the things that we believe is a doctrine of prevenient grace. And what does that mean? John Wesley believed that prevenient grace is the love of God that seeks us before we seek God, that God is seeking us before we seek God that we are made in the image of God and God has breathed his spirit into us and he's seeking us, he's searching for us, he's hunting for us to be in relationship with us. And we see it all throughout scripture, right? We see it in the Garden of Eden where God is searching, seeking out Adam and Eve while they're hiding from God after they've sinned. We read it in 1 John, we love each other. Why say it with me? We love each other because he loved us first. See, prevenient grace, God searching for us 
every single day. We read about it when Jesus talks about the parable of the lost sheep. 99 are in the fold, safe, secure. What does Jesus do? He goes searching for the one that is missing. Searching for the one that is missing. And, And maybe you're here today and you feel like you're missing out on God's love, God's plan, God's purpose. God wants to make all of us part of the 100, right? Part of the 100, the 100 that are all secure and safe in the fold with God. One of the great poems of history is Francis Thompson's poem, uh, The Hound of Heaven. And I love that poem because you'll see in a few minutes, I I love hounds, okay? I I love those animals that love to hunt and love to search. And so he wrote this poem called The Hound of Heaven. You see, Thompson, Francis Thompson was a follower of Christ, but he struggled in his life with poverty, poor health, addiction to opium. In the depths of his despair, he wrote this poem called The Hound of Heaven. And and he describes his flight. He says, I fled God. I fled down the nights. I fled down the days. I hid from God. And maybe you can relate to that today. Maybe you're here because somebody asked you to come. Maybe you're here, you know, you're not sure why you're here, but, but you sense that you've been hiding from God. And maybe you're, you're somebody who's believed in God, and maybe you've drifted away from that relationship, and you feel like you're hiding from God. Thompson goes on to describe the unrelenting love of Jesus, calling him the hound of heaven. And he says that he pursued me with an unhurrying chase, an unperturbed peace, pace, deliberate speed, with majestic urgency, the hound of heaven. You know, I love this statement. No one chases grace, but grace chases everyone. No one chases grace, but grace chases everyone. And no matter what is hounding you today, the hound of heaven is here. The hound of heaven is here. You know, I I felt so much the presence of God here as the worship team was leading us this morning. This place is thick with the presence of God. And that presence of God is chasing after you and chasing after me. Second Chronicles says it this way, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Now, the same thing I want you to know about a God chaser this morning is that God chasers aspire for God's heart. They aspire for God's heart. And what does that mean? Aspire means ambitiously seek, ambitiously search. <clears throat> In Samuel 13, 14, uh, in, in, um, here Samuel is speaking directly to Saul, who David's about to replace as king. He says, but now your kingdom is in, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. And Luke said it this way in Acts 13, 13th chapter, 22nd second verse, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, he will do everything I want him to do. A God chaser aspires for the heart of God. You know, David trusted in God's heart. He staked his life on God's heart. In the Psalms, we read about his search. In Psalm 63, we read David writing this, Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you. I have seen you in the sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. Now, if you're a God chaser and you're really committed to chasing God, can you say those words? 
Your love is better than life itself. Your love is better than life itself. Now, God chasers aspire for the heart of God. And I want you to know that today, if you're here on the planet, you have an advantage over David. And what's your advantage? We see this, uh, this God that David was chasing after. In the incarnation, this God became a human being. And this God revealed through Jesus his heart. That Jesus came to reveal God's heart. He came to reveal God's words, God's thoughts, God's emotions, God's actions. And I believe that the heart of God is revealed in Jesus Christ. And what are the attributes of God's heart we see in Jesus Christ? A couple things. The first thing we see is the character of Christ. In the character of Christ, we see the compassion of God. We see his heart, how compassionate he is. I think in the character of Christ, we see how humble God is. I love Philippians chapter 2 where it says, Christ humbled himself and left the splendors of heaven to come to earth to reveal to us the heart of God. And how Jesus was a servant, we see the heart of God. But the second way, not just the character, but we also see the heart of God in the cross of Christ. On the cross, we see the very heart of God, that God will do whatever it takes to reach his people, even willing to put his son on a cross to demonstrate how much he loves you. Now, none of us here, I believe, would volunteer our son up to die on a cross, our only child to die on a cross. But that's how much God loves you. And then we can see the heart of God. We can see his unconditional love. We can see his sacrificial love for the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son to a cross. So the question is, will you chase after the heart of God? Will you look into the scriptures and see the heart of God revealed and see in the gospels Jesus Christ and his witness and his mission showing us God's heart? And, and Jesus said these words, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all things will be added unto you. Seek the heart of God, aspire for the heart of God. And when that happens, this is a very important point here this morning, God chasers then are anointed. When you're a God chaser, you are anointed. I love what First Samuel says. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord Say it with me. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. On Friday mornings, we meet together with men and during the summer, the next step teams. And we pray that prayer. We pray for the anointing of God's Spirit to come upon whoever's leading this weekend. Prayed for Nick, who's preaching in the sanctuary, that the anointing power of the Holy Spirit will come upon Nick. Prayed for the anointing power of the Holy Spirit to be upon me. But not, not just pastors, but on Sunday school teachers, on youth workers, on leaders, that God's Spirit would anoint and move upon people. And the good news is that when we become, follow, when we become followers of Jesus, that Jesus promises that we will receive the Holy Spirit in a new and powerful way. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He, it is the, he is the Holy Spirit who will lead you into all truth. Now, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to teach us. One of the purposes is to teach us about the heart of God. 
is, and think about this, whenever you become a follower of Jesus and you become a God chaser, God anoints you with his Holy Spirit. And, and, and think what that means. It means that the heart of God is in you. The heart of God is in you through the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit of Jesus Christ is in you. And part of the purpose of being a Christian is, is then to have your, 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 your emotional heart, your, your, your soul become like the heart of God. You know, Jesus said these powerful words, um, be you perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, how is that possible? I can't be that perfect person, but with the help of the Holy Spirit inside of me, God can transform my heart and change my heart to make it more like the heart God wants it to be. The Holy Spirit inside of us. Now, one of the things that we have to really watch out for is a God chaser. And we can see this conflict between Saul, who was the king that David replaced, and that is God chasers are not after approval or applause. God chasers are not after, not after approval or applause. David was chosen by God to replace Saul primarily because Saul loved pleasing people more than he loved pleasing God. God chasers are not driven by applause or approval or appeasing people. See, Saul lost his kingdom because of his disobedience, and his disobedience was because he was insecure. He was insecure and measured his worth by what people said about him. And if you are driven by what people think about you, you will never be a God chaser. You'll always be a people pleaser, and that'll kill you. <laughs> because I've learned in ministry, ministry through the years that you can never please everybody, and it'll drive you out of ministry. It'll drive you from being the man or the woman that God wants you to be. You know, ultimately, we serve what we fear. We serve what we fear. And that's why we're said, it's said in Scripture repeatedly, fear God. Reverent, have a reverence for God. Have a, have a respect for God. Humble yourself before God. Because God has this love for you, this passion for you. As God chasers, people's opinions should never be greater than God's opinion. For God chasers, the people's fears should never drown out the promises of God. And, and one of the challenges of being in ministry for 30-plus uh, years is discerning between the voice of God and the voice of people. That doesn't mean that we don't work with people. We, we love people in this church, and I, I wouldn't be where I am today. We wouldn't be where we are today without the wisdom of people. And we want to we partner with people in ministry throughout this church, and, and we've seen that happen over and over again. But I've got to be careful. We've got to be careful that we're discerning the voice of God over the voice of people. We've got to listen to the voice of truth versus the voice of the culture because the culture would want us to appease the truth. You get that, right? We live in a world where the culture says, just do what you want to do. We've got to listen to the voice of God and the voice of truth to be truly God chasers. You know, popularity never lasts because the crowd and the culture are always changing, but our God never changes. Proverbs 29, 25 says it this way, if you fear other people, you're walking into a dangerous trap. But if you trust in the eternal one, you will be safe. Don't fall for the trap of being a people pleaser. You know, I believe that one of our greatest, when we get to the end of our life, our greatest regrets will not be what we did, but what we didn't do. 
what we didn't do. And God is calling you to step out of your comfort zone and become a God chaser. And when you do that, it'll change your life forever. But if you don't make that decision, I believe you'll come to the end of your life and you'll go, man, I wish I would have trusted God. I, I believe when we step into eternity and we're going to see all of God's power and all of God's might, and we'll go, we'll go, man, what was I thinking? Why didn't I trust him more? Why didn't I aspire for his heart? And we'll know then truly how much God loves us. I know my life was changed whenever I graduated from high school. And, and, and I had the voice of people in my ear. I had applied for a job, and I had a job waiting on me out of, out of high school before I went to college. It was a great job working for the uh, steel mill, making more money than they ever thought possible. But I felt God calling me to something else. Now, all my friends, family said, man, great job, great job, great job. But I was a God chaser. And I chased God all the way to South Carolina and came to a place where I had no job, no place to live, didn't know what we were going to do, and the rest is history. And God did an amazing work in my life, changed the whole direction of my life because I was willing to listen to His voice rather than people's voice. Galatians 1.10, Paul said it this way, Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval, approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. When I was praying Friday morning, and uh, at the prayer breakfast, I was praying, people were praying, and I was wrestling with God a little bit and listening, trying to listen, hear God's voice. And I was thinking about this message, and I was struggling with this message about how to shape it and how to put it together. It was Friday. Usually we're trying to be done by Friday, but I was still in process. And I was thinking about last week's sermon. Last week's sermon was, it was a fun sermon. It was a great sermon. Felt really good about it. This week, not so good. Uh, and so I was wrestling. And God said these words to me clearly, and I prayed it out loud in front of the men's prayer breakfast, that God told me, your purpose as a pastor is not to impress people. Your purpose is to imp impact people with the gospel. You preach the gospel, you preach the good news, and I'll take care of the rest. But if, you get, if your purpose is to impress people, it ain't going to work. You know, and that's what God calls us to do. Don't impress people. Don't try to be a people pleaser, but be a God pleaser. And then the final thing I want to say to you today is that God chasers always keep searching. We always keep searching, always keep seeking the heart of God. God never stops chasing us, and we never stop chasing Him. Now, Jesus said it this way, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What does He mean by that? I think He means blessed are those who chase a right relationship with God. You want to be in a right relationship with God. Now, hear me when I say this. We don't chase God just to find Him. God's here this morning. God's everywhere. We chase God to get to know Him. We chase God to know His love. We chase God to know His purpose. We chase God to become the men and women that He's calling us to be. Once David experienced the grace of God, he stayed after the grace of God. And that's what God wants from all of us. What, what did Jesus say? Your, your, your great commandment is this. Love God with all your heart and all your mind and your soul. And love your neighbor like yourself, right? So your passion for God never ceases because I'm not there yet. There are days that, 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 I, that I struggle with loving God with all my heart, mind, and soul. 
because other things get in the way. You know what I'm talking about, right? And so it's an ongoing chase every single day of my life to, to love God with all my heart, mind, and soul. Now, I love again this idea that God is the great hound of heaven that never stops searching for us. I want to tell you a little story about my past. And I, a lot of people have never heard this story. And some of you who are close friends know this. But uh, when I moved to Conway, when Lynn and I were married and we finally landed in Conway uh, in Horry County, I had never hunted a day of my life. I didn't know anything about hunting at all. And it was the, it was the church's, uh, it was our first Christmas there. And they were having a little uh, drop-in shower uh, Christmas tea with the women and my wife and, and our kids. And the men uh, came in to the, to the little women's tea with a big box. And they said, hey, this is for our pastor. And I opened it up, and inside was a Remington 1100 shotgun. And they said to me these words, if you're going to be our pastor, you need to learn to hunt with us. And so I began to join in with some hunting. And in the low country tradition, uh, they would use dogs to hunt with, right? They had these Tennessee Walker hounds that they would release into the swamps. And, and these, 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 these dogs would then go in there and, and get after the deer. Well, I was, I was hooked. You know, this was, this, was, this was fun, enjoyable, exciting. And, and so I went from somebody who had never hunted before to buying a pickup truck uh, with a CB radio, with a dog box, and then I ended up with nine beagles, right? Nine beagles. And I was, I was immersed into the, uh, into the culture of Horry County. And I remember my first three beagles. Uh, uh, they were from the same bloodline. It was, and I named them Red, Sandy, and Spottail. Spottail. And, and I remember how I trained them, right? I didn't know anything about this. So I had a, had a lady in the church who, uh, who uh, uh, had a garden, and she was complaining about rabbits all the time. And so I thought, hey, it's a good way to train my beagles. So I, so I, my, my beagles were just puppies. I put them in my arm, and I went to this lady's garden, and I was hoping to, to see a rabbit, you know, and I could teach my little beagles how to chase rabbits. And so I was walking in the garden, and I had the beagles in my hand, and I stepped around the corner or a row of corn, and there stood a deer. <laughs> and I took the beagles, and I threw them at the deer, right? <laughs> you know, and uh, it was great. And, and, the, and the, the beagles, they were scared to death. The deer were scared to death. And, and, and the chase was on, right? These little three little beagle puppies took off after that deer, and the deer was so much faster than them. And the deer ran about 50 yards and jumped a big canal ditch and went on into the woods. And the beagles ran to the ditch and stopped and went, what we do now? You know, so, I don't know. So, but, that, but that began a great love affair with those beagles. And, uh, and, 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 and my best beagle name was Red. Red was a calico 12-inch beagle, and he had a passion for chasing deer. And, and I could release him into the woods and the swamps, and, and I would hear Red. He was steady on the trail looking for a deer. And the other dogs, you would never hear anything much from him, occasionally a yelp or whatever. But, but, but Red, he stayed on it. He kept chasing and kept chasing, kept looking, kept searching. And eventually he would stumble across a deer. And then his whole tone changed because usually what happened with Red, because he was a small little beagle, he actually saw the deer get up. He could see the deer get up, and the deer would take off, and the red would take off. And then all the other beagles would join in. It was chaos. You know, nine beagles, you know, wide open. Now, let me just put a caveat in. They never caught the deer, okay? Let me just say that for you. All the other, they never caught the deer, but the chase was on. And what I learned about the beagles through the years is that red 
would never stop. Now, the other beagles, when they, when they went through the swamps, swam the river, swam the intercoastal waterway, whatever it took, through the briars, avoiding alligators, whatever, they would eventually begin to fall out. They'd begin to drop out. And they would, one come back at a time, another would come back, another come back, but not red. Because red had seen the deer. And he was going to stay on that deer until he was exhausted. And literally would be exhausted. And I started thinking about that. That that's how we are as Christ followers, as God chasers. And when we've seen God, when we've touched, he's touched our life, he's filled us, filled our hearts with his love. We, we never stop chasing. We're in love with God. We're passionate about God. But, but, I, but I've realized that the people that fall away from church, that fall away from a small group, they maybe have come to church because somebody else is coming. And they're chasing the lead dog, and they've never met Christ. And maybe you're like that. Maybe you've been chasing people. Maybe you joined the church because a bunch of people came here. But you've never had a personal encounter with Jesus. And when you have a personal encounter with Jesus, it changes your life. And you chase him for the rest of your life. And you don't drop out. That doesn't mean you don't get tired from time to time. You don't get disappointed from time to time, but you keep chasing. So today, maybe you're just chasing the wrong things. And you've never really had a personal relationship with Jesus that changes your life, that changes your heart, that makes you go forward with God. Now, let me just add one more caveat. I eventually had to give up my beagles. And really, bottom line, it was because my wife said that I was chasing beagles more than I was chasing her. And said, the beagles, have got to go. But what a passion the hound of heaven has for you. I love what the psalmist said this, Psalm 105. Search for him and for his strength. Say it with me. And keep on searching. In 2014, Matthew McConaughey won an Academy Award for Best Actor. And over 8 million people have watched uh, his acceptance speech. Now, I'm not sure that uh, Matthew McConaughey is a believer in Jesus. I'm not sure he's a God follower, a God chaser. I hope he is. And we all should pray that uh, he is. We should pray for a great awakening in Hollywood, that actors and actresses would become God chasers. It would change a lot of things in our culture if that would happen. But I love what Matthew McConaughey said in his speech. He said, I need three things in my life. I need someone to look up to. And he acknowledged God, that God had graced his life more than he could ever imagine. He said, I need something to look forward to. He says, what I look forward to is making my family proud. My wife and my kids and making them proud. Then he said the third thing that he needed was someone to chase. Someone to chase. And he said, for me, it's myself in 10 years. I'm never going to get to that person because I'm always going to set the goal higher and higher and higher. I want to become that person, the person I'll be in 10 years. A lot of people are chasing the wrong things in our world. For David, he wanted to become the man that God made him to be. It's my prayer that I'll become the man that God wants me to be. I'm not there yet. I'm a work in progress. It's my prayer that you'll become the man, the woman, the young person that God wants you to be. And when you do that journey, I believe that God will anoint you with his Holy Spirit. 
and he'll use you to do incredible things for the kingdom. So two questions this morning as we close. What are you running from? And secondly, what are you chasing? What are you chasing? What's driving your life? I invite you to chase after God. I love this statement. It's never too late to become who you might have been. It's never too late to become who you might have been. God wants to change your heart. God wants to change your life. And God wants you to use you to go change the world. The question is, will you commit to him today? Will you let him take your heart and make it become like his heart? Can you imagine what this church would be if 4,000 people became God chasers? Who invited God to take our hearts and make them like his heart? What an impact this church would have on the world. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, I thank you that you have demonstrated your love for us. You revealed your heart in the person of Jesus, your son. And Father God, you have been chasing every one of us. You're the hound of heaven who loves us. And even when we were at our darkest place in our life, you never gave up on us. We were at that darkest swamp in a darkest hole. You were searching for us. And Father God, I thank you for the many here this morning that have given their life to you, invited you into their heart. You've changed their heart. You've set them on a journey, on a mission, on a purpose. Thank you, Father God. And I pray for those people right now that are running the other direction from you. have never personally encountered you. And I pray that right now we would open our hearts to you that we would confess our sins, say, Lord, we've blown it, we've messed up. But we want you to change our hearts, come into our lives, cleanse us, forgive us, and make us right with you. And show us your heart, Father God. May we be surrounded by your love right now so that we can go and change the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.